Amen. What a blessing that is. Uh, maybe you're more spiritual than I am, but sometimes I find myself getting frustrated with people in the world and the way that people think and act. And I mean, this world is a mess, you know, and it's a mess because of people, <laughs> you know. Uh, and that can be a frustrating thing, but I really believe that the Lord would have us to recognize and look beyond just what we see in people and what, you know, what they say and what they do, but to recognize their need. And obviously their greatest need is for Christ, and they need the Lord. And uh, I appreciate that, the message of that song. Uh, I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 5. We've been going through the book of 1 John. We're down to the last couple of messages uh, within, the, within the book here. And I'm going to just say right at the outset that this message this morning is a little bit different probably than um, what, what you're used to, what I, certainly than what I'm used to preaching, uh, because this is somewhat of a difficult passage. It's one that gets confused quite frequently. Um, it's, it's one that causes a lot of people really to just kind of question and, and wonder what does that mean. And uh, so this morning I'm going to set out, Lord willing, by His grace, to try and explain how, what I understand this passage to mean based on other scriptures. And we're going to spend a fair amount of time really giving an explanation of what this means. So we're going to look at an explanation and then we're going to take a look at an application and then we're going to close out the message with somewhat of a warning that we find in the Word of God as well. So bear with me as we go through this text this morning, two verses, verses 16 and 17. And I will ask you to stand for the reading of the Scripture if you're able to do so. If not, of course, that's no problem at all. But First John chapter 5, and we will read verses 16 and 17. It says here, if any man see his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he, that is God, shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is a sin not unto death. I want to preach to you this morning on praying for sinning brethren. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word over these next few moments, I do pray that you would help us to rightly divide your word. I pray that the things that are spoken here would be truth according to your word. I pray that as we look at other scriptures that we would be able to see that clearly revealed and Lord, I pray that we as your people would be diligent to search out the word of God and see whether these things are so and uh, help us to give us understanding. But Lord, today, more than understanding or in addition to understanding, we also need your help to take the truth that is here and actually apply it and live it. And as we heard in the Sunday school hour, to be doers of your word and not hearers only. Lord, work among us, I pray. And as we gain understanding of this, I do pray that you would help us to evaluate 
where we stand before you. And help us, Lord, to seek to be right with you in all things. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, as I mentioned a moment ago, this passage of Scripture is one that has created a lot of confusion for a lot of people. What does this mean? Sinning a sin unto death and sinning a sin not unto death. And, and what, what does all that have to do with me? And maybe you've, you've heard people say before that uh, really all sin is, is the same in God's eyes. That to, to God sin is sin and there are no varying degrees of sin. And God doesn't deal with one sin differently than another. And I would say that that's half right. All sin is serious in the eyes of God. We see that actually in the beginning of verse number 17. He says, all unrighteousness is sin. In God's eyes, all sin is serious sin and must be dealt with. But we do find that God throughout Scripture has dealt with different sins in differing ways. Go back and read through the law. And you'll find that there were different punishments and and different uh, sacrifices and offerings that were to be made for different types of sin. There were different cleansings. So God doesn't always deal with every sin in exactly the same way. But that doesn't necessarily mean that one sin is more serious than another in the sense that all sin is very serious in the eyes of God. So when this talks about sinning a sin which is unto death and not unto death, what is this talking about? Well, Uh, Some people have equated this with what Jesus talked about in the Gospels, that blaspheming of the Holy Spirit that he called that, or that we've kind of deemed that the unpardonable sin, where he said that 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 sin would not be forgiven uh, of men. And and, and I, I believe that comparing these two scriptures or trying to make these two scriptures to say the same thing would be a mistake. Because Jesus was, was dealing with, in the Gospels, when he talk, talked about that issue of blaspheming the Holy Spirit, the Bible specifically tells us that the reason that he said that was because they had attributed the work of God to Satan. Remember that he had been working and performing miracles, and one of the things that he did was he cast out a devil, and they called him uh, uh, Belial. They said that it was in the power of the devil that he had done this thing. And so they were taking what God had done and and, and that which was done through the power of the Holy Spirit and they were claiming that that was demonic and they were blaspheming the Holy Spirit and Jesus said, hey, that's that's not something that's going to be forgiven of you. And he was speaking specifically to those people. But when we come to 1 John 5, the context is entirely different. First of all, I want you to remember that 1 John is talking to primarily saved people, born-again individuals. He, he calls them brethren. In fact, when we look at uh, verse number 16, we, we notice this. It says, if any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death. So he's talking about the sinning brethren, people who are saved and are committing sin. And he says that there are some sins that are unto death and some that are not unto death. So we, we, we have to understand then that this is talking about something entirely different. This is something that is committed not by a lost person, but by saved individuals. Now, here's something we need to back up and just understand. And let me just clear the air for a moment. We need to understand something that 
while the Bible says here in verse number 16 that there is a sin not unto death, and also verse 17 says the same thing, there is a sin not unto death, we need to understand that that is not talking about, that, that it's not saying that there are some sins that God does not judge. It is not saying that. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 very clearly states, the wages of sin is death. That is the just recompense for sin. Any, any sin that has ever been committed is worthy of death, not only physically, but spiritually. There is a separation from God that occurs because of sin. Adam and Eve faced spiritual death simply because they took of the fruit that God said not to take of. And it resulted in spiritual death. And you must understand that all sin, all unrighteousness of sin, and all sin leads to spiritual death. You might say, well, you know, for the most part, I try to be a good person and do that which is pleasing to the Lord. So maybe the consequence for my sin will not be death. But I want you to think of this. James chapter 2 and verse number 10. It says, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point is guilty of all. So in other words, God is saying here and telling us that if you have, even if you've been perfectly good and kept all of the law and just offended or just sinned in one point, in God's eyes, you have broken the law. You are guilty of all the law. So there really is no such thing as just sinning a little bit here and not being guilty or worthy of death. And then, you know, this person over here is a really bad sinner. That's not a biblical perspective of sin. And so when he's, when he's talking about this, there's a sin not unto death, he's not referring to, he can't be referring to spiritual death. He can't be talking about the fact that there are some sins that are not worthy of hell. Because the Bible clearly teaches us that all sin is worthy of hell. It's, it puts us under condemnation and damnation before God. So what is he talking about? There's a sin not unto death, and he talks about this sin unto death. Again... Let me say to you that this particular issue, the context is referring to believers. There is apparently a sin unto death that is, applies to those who are saved, believers in Christ. And this reference to death is not talking about that spiritual death, that eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. How do I know that? Well, because Jesus said, according to John chapter 10, Jesus said that his sheep have eternal life. He said, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. So a child of God can never, uh, spiritually speaking, eternally speaking, perish and, and go to hell or, or spend eternity in the lake of fire. That's not possible. So what is this talking about? Well, this is talking about a physical death that results from some kind of sin that the Bible calls a sin unto death. And actually, as we look at the New Testament, we do find several examples uh, of uh, people who are believers in Christ, who are saved, that because of something that they did or continued to do, the Lord basically put an end to their life, what we would call prematurely. Uh, he, he put an end to their life here on this earth. One example of that would be over in the book of Acts in chapter 5. If you would go there with me, Acts chapter 5. 
And I want to show you some, an example of a sin that was unto death. It was, it was a sin that was committed that resulted in the death of the transgressors. Yet, from what we can tell, these people were saved people. Acts chapter 5, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. It says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not, in, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. That's an important thing to know. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. Now, if we were to read on, we would find that his wife then comes in, and she uh, basically tells the same lie. Here's what happened. Uh, in the previous chapter, we read of these brethren, these Christians that were part of the church at Jerusalem, that were so committed to the cause of Christ that they were beginning to sell what they had, their lands and their houses and all their possessions. They were selling them, and they were taking the money that came from those things, and they gave it to the, the Lord. They gave it to the apostles to make sure that the needs of the church people were met, that the gospel could be furthered. They were giving up their life for the cause of Christ. They were sacrificing everything for the cause of Christ. That happened at the end of chapter 4. By reading between the lines a little bit in chapter 5, I surmise that Ananias and Sapphira, who were members of the church, began to see this and recognize that this was a noble thing to do and maybe even thought, you know, if we would do the same we would get some notoriety. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to sell our land, and we're going to give that money to the Lord as well. So they sell this piece of land, and, and from the way things are written here, it seems as though when the money came to them, they, they must have come up with this idea. You know, if we took half of the money that we got for selling the land, or whatever the portion was, three quarters, whatever it was, we'll, we'll give that to the Lord, and we'll keep the rest for ourselves. Now let me say that there is nothing wrong with that at all. Peter even addressed that. Uh, he said that, whiles it remained, when you had this land, was it not thine own? And, and even after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? When you had that money, it's yours to do with what you want. But here was the problem. They gave whatever portion they decided they were going to give, and they lied about it, and they said, this is everything. We're giving everything to the Lord. And they kept back part of it for themselves, but they wanted to convince everyone else that they had done some great thing. The issue was a heart issue. The issue was that they were uh, uh, really looking for the praise of men rather than the praise of God. And, and this was such a serious matter... In this, particular, in this particular setting, in this particular time in the history of the New Testament church, that the Lord saw fit to say, I'm going to put a stop to this right now. And both of these people, upon their confession of their, their, their lie, really they didn't confess that they lied, but they lied and they kind of uh, reaffirmed that lie and God said, that's it, and he took them out. He put an end to their physical life because 
according to this, they had lied to the Lord. They had lied to the Holy Ghost. And notice in verse number 11 of this same chapter, it says, And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. The result was others who observed this took note, took knowledge and said, Whoa, what we are doing here is serious. God is serious about his church. God is serious about what we do here. Let me just say to you that we ought to be serious about God's church and what he's doing here. And so the Lord did this for whatever reason. Now, I don't believe that Ananias and Sapphira were the, were the last. They may have been the first, but they weren't the last to do this because I think this thing still happens in churches today, okay, where there's uh, maybe this idea of, well, I'm going to make people believe that I'm giving something that I'm not. Uh, there were times, and I don't do this as a pastor, but as a, a church member and serving where I would uh, take up the offering or help sort out the offering and count the offering and that type of thing. And, uh, and, and you would be surprised how many times uh, when a plate is passed and you, you go to open those envelopes, how many times you find an empty envelope there. You know, someone who, you know, the plate's being passed and I'm going to drop this in here because I want everyone else to think I'm putting some money in, but I'm not really putting it. I mean, this thing happens today very, pretty, pretty commonly. And it, I don't see a lot of people just dropping like flies. You know, it's not like God's just taking people out because of this. But for whatever reason, in this situation, God said, this is serious enough that I am going to put a stop to these people's lives and everyone who's part of that church is going to know exactly why so that they'll take this seriously. That would be one example of a sin unto death. Uh, another example, I believe, would be in... In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we won't take the time to go there, but Paul is talking to the church at Corinth about the, how they're, they've really, uh, they're not partaking of the Lord's Supper and the way that the Lord delivered it to them, and, and, and it had become a very selfish thing, and, and, and it was a, rather than, than a time that was pleasing to the Lord, it had really become a, a gluttonous, uh, a drunken fest for those who had more than others, and it was a shameful thing. And when Paul talked about it, he said in uh, 1 Corinthians 11.30, he said, For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you. And then he said, and many sleep. And the New Testament word sleep often refers to those who, uh, in Christ, who have died. Okay? So in other words, there were some people in the church at Corinth that had so lightly treated the ordinance of the Lord's Supper that God said, that's it, you're done. And he took them out. Those are a couple of New Testament examples of a sin unto death. Now, in both of those cases, we see some similarities, but we also see differences. And I think it's important for us to understand that the Bible never tells us what, sin, what, what the sin unto death is or isn't. And we need to be careful not to try and put things in the Bible that aren't in there. So I'm not going to sit here today and try and tell you that this is a sin unto death and this is not. But I do think that it's important for us to recognize that from what I can tell from the Word of God, there is a point where God, if I can use the term, tolerates our sin. Uh, His mercy uh, continues to extend to us, but there comes a point of, almost a point of no return. When, when someone has hardened their heart against the Lord or, or continues in sin, when the Lord has chastened them and rebuked them, where God says, enough is enough, 
your life is no longer fruitful for the cause of Christ, and now you're coming home. Okay? Again, that, that's how I understand this to be. John chapter 15 and verse number 2, Jesus said, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. What exactly does that mean? I don't know, but I, I kind of get the idea that it seems to indicate that there are people that maybe could live longer lives in serving the Lord and obeying the Lord and, and actually have their lives count for the Lord in a deeper way if they were just submitted to Him, but because of rebellion, disobedience, um, whatever the case is, their life has become unprofitable and unfruitful, and the Lord may actually end their life sooner than He would have otherwise. Okay, so all of this to simply say, while I don't know exactly what the specific sin is or what the extent is of at what point does God say, that's enough, you're, you're done, your life is over, and you've committed a sin unto death, I don't necessarily know that. Here's what I do know. God takes sin very seriously, not only among the lost, but also among his people. And we need to be serious about it as well. And in our passage here in John chapter 5, what this is specifically referring to is not necessarily the sinner who is sinning this sin unto death or not unto death, but unto those brethren who would be part of the same church and aware of the things going on in the lives of their brethren and sisters in Christ and, and would recognize there is a problem in their life and they're headed down a road of destruction and it's addressing this issue of praying for one another. In fact, uh, here in 1 John 5, verse number uh, 15, it says, And if we know that he hear us, talking about God, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions we desired of him, so we know that he answers prayer. And the very next thing it says is, If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. In other words, if you are observing in the life of a brother or a sister in Christ a, a, a pattern of destruction, rebellion against the Lord, you know what you are supposed to do? You're to pray for them. You're to pray for them. And it says that, that God will give them life for that sin which is not unto death. Now, I do not believe, from what I see in the rest of Scripture, that what he's saying is, you can pray on behalf of someone else and God will just overlook that sin and forgive that sin because that's not really how God works with us. No man can forgive sin. I can't pray you into a right relationship with God in the sense that I can't make you right with God. But what I can do is pray that God works in your heart to such a degree that he will bring you to repentance, right? I can pray that God will get a hold of you and do what is necessary in your life to bring you to a place of repentance and restoration with him. And so when the, when the Bible says that if any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for that sin which is not unto death, it seems to me to indicate that the, the goal is I'm seeing my brother who's headed in a wrong direction and I'm praying that God will get a hold of his heart and grant him repentance so that he can be spared from the destruction that he's headed toward. And any parent who's here who's ever had a wayward child, 
understands this fully. You understand that as you watch your children going out of the way and living in disobedience and rebellion to the Lord, your prayer, your heart for them is, Lord, I don't want to see them face the consequences of this life. They know, they know better than this, and yet they're going in this way. But Lord, in your mercy, I'm pleading with you that you would get a hold of their heart and that you would bring them to a point of repentance so that they would be delivered from the destruction that they're headed toward. We ought to be seeking the restoration of erring saints, erring Christians. Why? Well, God has a heart for restoring people. You know that? God has a heart for restoring people. I want to remind you of the the commandment in Galatians chapter 6. In verse 1, it says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault... Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in a spirit of meekness. In other words, the, the, the Lord is telling us there, hey, if someone else, if, if, if one of your brothers or sisters in Christ is, is overtaken in a fault, if, they're, if they've just gone after sinful things and it's, it's a destructive thing, what are you supposed to do? He doesn't say write them off. He doesn't say push them away. He says restore them. Do what you can to bring them back to where they ought to be. Why? Because God has a heart for people and for restoring people. And and I've got to say, just kind of a side note here, part of a function, one of the functions of the New Testament church that people don't like to talk about is mutual accountability. And and it's a biblical concept. A lot of people like to think, well, I don't really need the church because... You know, I'm saved and I have the Holy Spirit and so I don't necessarily need to be, I don't need other Christians, you know, watching out for me. And I'm not saying that we need to be in everyone's business, okay? We're not here to judge one another and look down on each other and and, and stick our nose where it doesn't belong. But there is a point, there is a sense in which God has given us the, the church so that we can come together and we can live life together and serve God together and we can actually help to hold one another accountable. And when someone is going out of the way, it is right and good for their church family, their brothers and sisters in Christ, to seek their repentance and restoration. That is a right thing. It is a biblical thing. Now, I know that in today's world, a lot of people just want a church where they can come and live their life the way they want and never feel judged and never feel uncomfortable and nobody tells them anything is wrong with their life. But I'm just saying that that's not really Christian brotherly love. If we really love one another, we're going to be willing to warn one another. And again, it's not in a judgmental or hateful way. It's in a loving way that is this. Uh, brother, listen, I love you. I'm concerned about you. Something's not right in your life. I can see it. And, and, and I just want you to know I'm praying for you. And I really want to encourage you to get things right with God. I don't want to see you, as Paul used the term, I don't want to see you be a castaway. I don't want to see your life shipwrecked. There is a, a degree to which we are to be holding one another accountable. Now you might think, well, I don't really want any part of that. Listen, if you were, follow my train of thought here, if you were one of these people that was sinning 
a sin not unto death, but maybe you were going to that point where you were getting close to where God was going to say enough is enough. And a brother or sister in Christ began praying for you and, and, and the Lord as a result of their prayers brought chastening into your life and brought conviction and brought you to repentance and all of a sudden now your, your life is restored, your relationship with God is restored and, and you have been given longer life to live and serve God because of the prayers and because of the warnings of a brother or sister, would you not be thankful for that mutual accountability of a New Testament church? In other words, a, a wise person actually is thankful for friends who are willing to say the hard things and tell the truth sometimes. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. I am I, not advocating that we walk around with an FBI spirit looking for problems in one another's lives. But I am saying that we ought to love one another enough that we pray for each other and if we see a problem in someone's life that we would be that we would have the courage to pray for them and to approach them and, and just in a loving manner warn them of the seriousness of sin because God takes sin seriously. So on one hand Verse number 16, he tells us that if we see our brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, they haven't reached that point of no return yet, whatever that is. We're, we're to pray for them. But then, notice it does say, at the end of the verse, there is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. Now that's, that's an interesting statement. There, there is a point at which God says... You've reached a point of no return, and because of your sin, your life is going to end prematurely. Now, it's possible that at that point, that person immediately is taken out. I don't know. Um, but the fact that he tells us that we're, we are not to pray for that would indicate to me that maybe there's a point where we, where God is telling us, when I am chastening someone, when I'm judging someone, don't get in my way. When God has made his determination that this person has reached that point where they have sinned a sin unto death, he said, I say not that you should pray for that. Sometimes we want so desperately for someone to be made right that we plead with God that he would spare them. And, and I just want to say to you that that's not always the best thing for them. Please don't misunderstand me, and I'm not trying to be harsh in any way. But there are several people, and I, I, I've known many people that, that would fit this description, but several people, at least three people in my life that I have been close to, that I watched out of the will of God, living in rebellion against Him, and their lives ended prematurely, due to various reasons. And as difficult as that was, and painful as that was, there is a part of me that wonders if it was not the mercy of the Lord. Because had they not been called home and continued in the way that they were going, there was going to be a lot more collateral damage. There were going to be others who were negatively influenced even further. There were going to be 
that the name of Christ was going to be dragged through the mud that much longer, you know? And sometimes, and, and I just, pl please don't misunderstand my heart in this. Sometimes I've known some people who, uh, I wonder if the Lord wasn't being merciful to them and to their family in that they didn't, they didn't allow them to live longer and have children and, and different things because had they done that, those children probably would have grown up without any knowledge of the Lord. You know, I don't know if that's the case or not, but I do know this. As a father, I, I never want to get into sin, period, and be out of, out of favor with God. But what a tragedy it would be if my children one day stood before the Lord, lost, and on their way to a Christless eternity because of the testimony of a father who wasn't right with God. And I pray that God would take me out before I would be that kind of an influence as a father. I'm just saying that sometimes God, know, God always knows better than we do. And sometimes he may, he may deal with someone in a certain way that we wouldn't choose, that we don't want that. We, we love people. We don't want to see God put an early end to their life or, or deal with them harshly because of sin. But I just want you to know, God takes sin seriously. And while we ought to be praying for one another, we ought to always have this perspective. God knows what's best. And our prayer and our heart for, for our brethren who are erring ought to always be, Lord, do whatever it takes to bring this person to a point of repentance. Do whatever is necessary to chasten them in their lives and, and, and bring them to a point of brokenness that they can experience a life that is fruitful for you. That's kind of the application of this passage. But I want you to just notice with me something, just kind of a warning here briefly. Again, I know that this message has been different than, than many that we that we give here from the pulpit, but such a serious matter for us to consider. And here's the warning. God is very serious about sin. God is serious about sin. We may treat it lightly. We may not think it's a big deal. We make excuse, excuses for our sin and even for other people's sin. But I just want you to Consider this, that God is not joking about his warnings in the Bible. God is serious about sin. He's merciful, and it's important for us to understand that God isn't just some kind of a, uh, you know, a dictator that sits in heaven ready to lower the hammer on the first time that you fail or, or slip up. I'm thankful for the mercy of God. We sang the song a few moments ago that his grace is greater than our sin. And it is so true. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. God is gracious. God is merciful. But I want you to know that does not mean that God doesn't care about sin. It does not mean that. And we as modern day Christians, I fear, have kind of watered down this concept and, and made it like this. You know, God would prefer that you didn't sin. But, you know, if you're saved and you're under grace and you don't have to worry about you know, just, just go out and live how you want and, and, and don't worry about it. No, that's not what God... God's warned us. James chapter 
1 and verse 15 says, when, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. God is serious about sin. Proverbs 14 and verse number 9 says, Fools make a mock at sin. We might joke about it. We might laugh at it. Sadly, even God's people will, will laugh at, at sin and wickedness on the TV or, or, or in, in the world and things going on or jokes in, told in the workplace, but fools make a mock at sin. God's not joking about it. It's, it's a serious matter. And if you're here today and you have never been saved, you have never received forgiveness of your sins by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, as lovingly as I can, please let me warn you, judgment is coming. And God, the just judge of the universe, He's not just going to overlook your sin. He's going to judge rightly and justly. And the final judgment is this. Revelation tells us all, everyone who was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That is the end of your sin. There is good news because there is deliverance and Christ shed his blood to offer you forgiveness. But think about this with me. Sin was so serious that rather than God saying, hey, it's no big deal, he said, someone has to die. And in his love, recognize that the road that you're on is leading you to destruction and there is only one way that you can be freed from that, that you can be forgiven, that you can be delivered and it's through the blood of Christ and you can receive His gift of eternal life today. Secondly, if you are a child of God, if you're a Christian who's here today, but you're just kind of dabbling in sin and wickedness and just kind of going the way of the world thinking, oh, it's no big deal. Friend, that's not how God sees it. That's not how he sees it. And you are headed toward destruction and you know better. Because you've already been forgiven of all this. You're not at risk of losing your eternal salvation. But friend, you may be at risk of reaching a point in your life where you will never again have an opportunity To obey God, to serve God. Your sin could be negatively affecting other people in your life. You may not even know it. But don't treat it lightly because God doesn't. It's a serious matter. Don't take lightly an issue that God is serious about. God is serious about sin. I'm thankful that though God is serious about sin, there is always mercy. And friend, today you can receive that mercy. 
if you are here and you're in a place in your life, you say, things aren't right, and I have been kind of living in rebellion to God in this way or that way, here's the solution. Remember, this is like one of the last verses in the book of 1 John, but one of the first verses in the book in chapter 1 and verse 9 says this, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Today, if you need that, if I need that, let us turn to the Lord, confess that, and be restored to fellowship with him so that we don't have to even worry about these verses anymore, okay? <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together in your word. Lord, I know that these things are serious. The